Podcast as always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas. Today is March 3rd, 2010. It is a Wednesday, and we are now up to episode 390 of the Survival Podcast, rapidly approaching, approaching our 400th episode. Somebody recently asked me, uh, Jack, when you started this show, did you think there would be 400 episodes? I have to tell you, I, I really didn't have any idea. Um, I would have to answer that question with, I don't know, we'll see how it goes. Um, it was just my feeling that somebody needed to be saying these things, and I didn't know yet if anybody would listen. But thanks to all of you who have listened to this show, who have supported this show, who have been part of this show, have been involved with the show, blogged about it. I just wanted to pause for a moment today as I thought about this. And tell all of you thank you and how much I appreciate you. Everybody that's ever listened to my show, everybody that's ever shared it with somebody, a heartfelt thank you because I have what I have today because of you. The show's about you, the audience, and I do my best to serve you. Uh, and I do my best to uh, to, to uh, help you in each way that I can. There's going to be days that you tune in and you're going to hear things that's not really what you were looking to hear that day. And I'm sorry, there's 10,000 of you now. I'm not going to please all of you every day. But hopefully I give you at least a few good shows that you really want to hear every week. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the news and what's going on out there. Um, but these are going to be kind of timeless things, that even though they're current events. We're not going to talk about the Chilean earthquake, believe it or not. We're not going to talk about anything you would probably see on CNN or Fox News. We're going to talk about the news that, well, nobody talks about, except maybe some local news stations if it's a local story, and what's really going on. But the big thing is, I'm going to talk to you today about what these things mean to us as preppers, as modern survivalists, as people seeking self-sufficiency, as people seeking liberty from a government that continues to grow in a road liberty. It's people that are just tired of the way things are and want things to be, well, we really don't care how they are as long as you leave us alone. I mean, that's the big thing that liberty-oriented individuals have. We're not trying to tell anybody else how to live. If somebody wants to live a certain way, they can do that. We just prefer that you let us live our way, too. Uh, so that'll be the angle I'm coming at. So hopefully, even though it's news, I won't get emails from people telling me, well, I could get this from Rush Limbaugh, because... I don't think I'm anything like Rush Limbaugh. No disrespect to the man, but um, we're miles apart. All right, so before we do that, though, let's knock out the housekeeping. Today's housekeeping starts out, as always, with taking care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day, number one, Directive21.com. That's the Berkey guy. Uh, folks, if you are going to be a prepper, if you're going to be prepared, one thing you have to make allowances for is making sure you have a, a constant supply of clean, drinkable, usable water. Uh, you can only store so much water, so having a way to filter and purify water is important. The Berkey guy can set you up with the right equipment to do that. Next up today, SOE Tactical Gear, John Willis and his operation. These guys build the absolute roughest, toughest, best tactical gear you will find on the planet anywhere. Stuff so strong they put it between two trucks and tried to pull it apart and had a big fat guy jump on it, and it didn't break. That's the kind of gear these guys make. Uh, so if you want good, tough tactical gear you can hand down to your kids, check out SOE or check them out at their various resellers that are available online, like Tactical Response Resells Gear, for instance. Um, 
moving on from there, check out our gear shop. Um, kind of tying back to the sponsor, we're working on a bag for the gear shop uh, with SOE that will have uh, be one of SOE's very cool bags with a survival podcast patch on it. Uh, and we're looking at a price point somewhere around 45 bucks. So we think it will be a good value, uh, and we hope people like that. But until then, check out the shirts, the hats, the challenge points. Uh, be proud of who you are. Don't hide being a prepper. It's not necessary. Um, in fact, I wear my TSP T-shirts all the time, and occasionally I get a question about it, but nobody really seems to really get it unless it's explained, which makes it a good conversation piece. All right, so one more thing I want to mention uh, today is – Survival Quarterly Magazine. I mentioned this yesterday. I'm not going to do a commercial for it every day, but I'm pretty excited. I got an article in there. Uh, I got a few emails from people already who have received the magazine uh, telling me they really appreciated my article, and and thanks for contributing. So uh, check out Survival Quarterly if you haven't yet. It's at survivalq.com. I want to also let you know, I'm going on vacation next week. I'm going on vacation from, uh, well, I'm leaving Tuesday night, so I'll be doing a show Monday and Tuesday. And then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I won't be around to do a show, but I've got you guys covered for two of them already. I've already done an interview, a great interview, with Rob Gray of the American Open Currency Standard. He's going to be here with you on Wednesday next week, uh, along with me from the past, to explain that to you. I had a lot of really good questions from you guys about the Open Currency Standard. I've passed them on to Rob, Rob and he did a great job of answering them. And I, I think you're going to enjoy this show. Next, I was on uh, Rifleman Radio uh, about a week ago. And uh, Scout from Rifleman Radio, I'm now going to reciprocate, bring him on the show. He's going to talk to you about being a rifleman and why it's important to be familiar with your rifle and to train with your rifle. So that should be a great show. And that Friday, I don't know what yet, but I'll have something for you as well. So even though I'm going on vacation, I'll still be here to give you a show every day because you guys are entitled to it. You guys deserve it. So from there, let's go ahead and move on uh, and talk about today... uh, a variety of news stories. I have about eight of them queued up for you. And I want to start out, and you'll understand right away what I mean when I say these are things that affect us, our community, and that you're probably not going to hear about uh, anywhere other than maybe local news or alternative news. But you're definitely not going to hear these at a national level because nobody really cares. Because it doesn't, I guess, enhance their ratings, and nobody really seems to care about the things they claim to care about. For instance, the, the, the modern media would lead us to believe that they would love it if everybody zero escaped their lawns. I mean, we need to conserve water, right? The planet is dying of thirst. There's droughts everywhere. And I'm not minimizing this stuff. I've told you there are water shortages in parts of the planet, and there are water abundances in other parts of the planet. But where nobody can deny there's been a water shortage, Southern California, specifically Orange County. Well, what's Orange County doing? Well... Guess what? They're prosecuting a family who decided to do something about the water shortage. Did these people do anything radical? I don't think so. They let their grass die in their front yard. They mulched it with wood chips, and they planted it with native plants and native herbs and wildflowers. That's it. Now, it's March, and these plants aren't into full growth yet. So... One of their neighbors said, we don't like that here in Orange County. I don't like that. That house is hurting my property value, which your property values are already through the floor because you're idiots and all purchased during the real estate boom in the first place. So that's a nonsensical complaint because it's not that guy's herb garden that's hurting your property value. Apparently, one complaining neighbor 
phoned up the, the, the county, and the county came out, warned these guys a couple times, and they basically said, we're not changing it, and we had a new baby, and that slowed down the project a bit, but we're working on it. If you just give us some time, um, it'll, start to, it'll start to grow. We have all these plants in there. They're natives. They're designed to deal with this. It's early spring, and, well, here's what's going on now. This is, I mean, here's what the article, I'm reading from the article directly here. This is a totally sensible move, right, especially considering that Southern California is going through a serious drought, and many areas have enacted water-conserving ordinances. So the city's telling you, you can't use the water. Not according to the city of Orange. What? So I said Orange County, so it's the city of Orange, which is taking Juan and Angelina to court. These are the two people that own the house on March 2nd. The couple could face a maximum penalty of six months in jail and a $1,000 fine because of their grass-free, eco-friendly landscaping scheme. The Hoff family has been in a legal dispute with Orange for more than a year because of their lack of lawn. According to the city, 40% of residential lawns must be traditionally landscaped. So 40% of your lawn has to be traditionally landscaped, according to Orange, uh, California. As you can see in a video, and I'll link to this video, the haw, the haw lawn isn't, I'll uh, admit, their yard isn't the most attractive thing to look at. It's currently covered in wood chips, but it's not an unkept eyesore. Uh, the Quan and, Quan and Angelina don't appear to be complete wackos, just nice young couple with a child who want to do the right thing by Mother Nature and conserve water in a perpetually drought-stricken Southern California. Um, I agree with this, this author. I'll link to his piece, and I'll link to the video you can watch on this. But I want you to think about the hypocrisy of government. I want you to think, here's the thing. In our community, we generally say local government is better than federal government, right? Well, here's a point where the federal government could give a rat's patoot, right, about what these people are doing. They don't care. The federal government's not going to get in your face because you have wood chips in your lawn. Not yet, anyway. I'm sure they'll find a way to do it in the future. But here we have busybodies in their little town whining and crying because somebody did something differently. And we have a city deciding to take on the role of a homeowners association. This is an hypocrisy. And every single person that lives in that area should be going right now with these people down to their courthouse and saying, we don't mind this and you better not do this. We've had enough, and we want you guys to be on record. Because even the person with the well-manicured lawn down the road better understand this affects them too. And how does it affect us as survivalists? It shows you how encroaching government can be on your attempts for self-sufficiency. Occasionally, you hear me talk about finding a place to homestead. And I usually say if you want to do the urban-suburban homesteading thing, that's fine. But I would advise you, all things being equal, if you can, to get out of the cities. And a lot of people take that to mean, I'm afraid if during a collapse, there'll be a riot and everything will be safer outside of the cities. There is that, but it's a small piece. This kind of crap right here, folks, is why I tell you that. Between what they do to you with property taxes, and then cities and townships and counties that stick their nose into your business at a level like this. Now look, if these people had a big pile of trash in their front yard, if they were doing something severely damaging, I could see the city hey, saying, hey, look, you guys got to clean this up. You're adversely affecting your neighbors in a negative way. But if you look at the video that I'll link to today, they have a nice little wood structure built out. They have all these nice little herbs planted on both sides of it. This is going to be a really beautiful thing when it's done. It's going to look, you know what it's going to look like, folks? If you've ever been to Phoenix, 
It's going to look like a phoenix lawn, but instead of uh, cactuses and gravel, you're going to have desert plantings, uh, herbs, dry land, native plantings, and wood chips. But it's going to be that type of a lawn. Now, if it's good enough for Phoenix, because like all their houses look that way, I think it's good enough for Orange, California. But never believe for a minute that you're immune to a government, or that just because a government is smaller, it's better. Because a government is only as good as its limitations to power. That's my point with this story. We can take any government anywhere. It doesn't matter how small they are. It doesn't matter how close to them you are. It doesn't matter how much democracy is there so that you can vote them out next term and put somebody else in. None of it really matters. What matters is how many limitations on the power of that government are in place. If you'll notice, and this is why, the first ten things changed in our Constitution after it was ratified. The Bill of Rights were all restrictions upon government and empowerments of the people. Only after that period of time did amendments came in that empowered government. Our founders didn't put one amendment into the Constitution that added to the power of government, not one. This kind of crap's why. And if you have a local township doing something like this, and you find out about it, speak up. Because if they're not coming for you yet, they'll come for you sooner or later. You'll want to do something, but they won't let you do it, and your neighbors aren't going to take up for you because you didn't take up for them. It's time for people to draw a line in the sand. And if I was living in Orange, California right now, I'd be down there with those people. And I'd be making it damn well understood that I'd use every resource I could to get rid of those people that have caused this problem during the next election cycle. All right, moving on from there. What's up next? Uh, well, we, we talk about Monsanto quite a bit, but... Um, sometimes I think we talk about Monsanto too much. Because Monsanto isn't the only evil corporation out there producing chemicals and doing genetic modification uh, in, the, in the realm of what they're doing. So I've got three stories coming up for you right now that have to do with this. The first one is a common weed killer. Uh, and this is a weed killer uh, that is called, what is this? It's, which one is this? It's uh, atrazine is what this is called. Atrazine, it's made by a company, I believe it's either Switzerland or Sweden. Uh, let me uh, real quick look that up for you. I can't remember the name of the company right now. I had a you know, brain pause. Yeah, the company, that it's not, I'm glad I looked it up because it's not, it's not Sweden, it's Switzerland. It's a Swiss company that manufactures atrazine called uh, Syngenta. Okay, so atrazine, folks, as you, if you can't tell from a little bit of my fumbling here, is new to me. I really had never looked into this before. It's actually an organic compound. So you'd think an organic compound would be kind of, uh, well, a good thing compared to uh, synthetic compounds like used in, uh, in Roundup. Organic doesn't always equal good. Organic simply means it's naturally occurring. Well, oil's naturally occurring, but if we dump it in the ocean, it causes problems. So let me tell you what this stuff does. Let me t and, and our EPA has already come out and said, uh, yeah, we'll restrict CO2, but we're not going to restrict atrazine. Okay, it can kill, still be used. It's okay. Hey, I'm going to tell you what it did, and, and, and you tell me whether or not you think this is a good idea. One of the most common weed killers in the world, atrazine, causes chemical castration in frogs and could be killing off amphibian populations worldwide, a published study showed. Researchers compared 40 male control frogs with 40 male frogs reared from the moment they hatched from eggs until full sexual maturity in atrazine concentrations in the range 
that animals experience year-round in areas where the chemical herbicide is found. So they didn't, like, saturate them with gallons of it like we'll be lied to about. They made the concentration the same level it would be in a place where somebody used this stuff. 90% of the male frogs exposed to atrazine had low testosterone levels, decreased, decreased breeding gland size, feminized langoral development, suppressed mating behavior, reduced sperm production, and decreased fertility. While the control group showed features typically found in male frogs. Great. And what happened to the remaining 10% of atrazine-exposed frogs was deemed the most dramatic finding of the study by researchers led by Tyrone Hayes of the University of California at Berkeley. They developed into females that copulated with males and produced eggs. Turn the males into females. The larvae of those eggs were all male. <laughs> Think about that. So it made them into females, but then their offspring were all male. Now, one thing you got to think about is frogs don't have, like, five babies. They have a lot of babies. So 10% of 40 frogs would be four frogs, several hundred apiece. So we're talking a 1,000 babies or more. I don't know what kind of frogs these were, but that would be, like, a minimum. And uh, they were all male offspring. That's not good for the breeding population, folks. We need both sexes make babies. I guess the, the chemical manufacturers say, well, hell, it turns 10% of them into females. What's the problem? Uh, earlier studies have also found that ostracine uh, uh, caused feminization in zebrafish and leopard frogs and caused significant decline in sperm production in male salmon and caiman lizards. Atrazine is widely used by farmers in 60 countries of the world as a weed and grass killer, particularly in fields of corn, grain, sorghum, and sugar cane. is also used on golf courses. Uh, apart from what the United States, uh, Australia, and China are among the biggest markets for atrazine, according to Tim Pastor, principal scientist for Syngenta, the U.S. company that makes the herbicide. Um, atrazine is banned in the European Union, but farmers use an almost identical, identical cable called Terberthlazane. Uh, Pastor said. Environmental activist organizations have called for atrazine to be taken off the market in the United States, but the Environmental Protection Agency four years ago refused to ban the chemical. The EPA already considered the question of whether or not atrazine will affect frog sexual development. The answer of that is clearly no. All right, I'm not going to read anymore. You can read the rest of the article if you want. So I want you to think about this. The EPA has said it is completely acceptable to manufacture, market, sell, and use a chemical that you can go down to your hardware store and buy for your own backyard that when sprayed into our biosphere, chemically castrates male amphibians, causes breeding problems and imbalances to their populations, has been proven to affect other animals and other creatures, and we don't even know how far that goes. We might look at this, the guy that sent me the story says, hey, this might have something to do with the bee problem. I don't have any idea. That's a stretch. But we can't rule that out. We don't know what this does. But that's completely acceptable. The same body has come out and ruled that when you exhale, you're producing CO2, and that that CO2 is a toxin that needs to be regulated. You see the inconsistency. This is why I keep telling you, you have to look for your own self-sufficiency and security. And that's why I say, folks, get out of the cities. Because you, the only way to get away from this stuff is to go somewhere where people aren't using it. And, you know, we always think, well, you know, it's banned in Europe. Well, they have another chemical that's just like it that does the same crap, that that's not banned, so they use that. So let's keep on the European thing. 
You know, I always thought of, at least the Europeans were big on, you know, preventing GMOs to some degree and outlawing certain GMO crops and requiring GMO labeling and stuff like that. Well, they're idiots too, right? We have to understand the government is full of idiots wherever you go, and the bigger the government gets, the greater the concentrations of idiots, morons, and peons from our little humor piece earlier uh, this week in that government. Well, here's what the U European Union has done. Um, Europe, EU authorizes genetically modified potatoes. Isn't that great? One of the biggest staples on the planet. You know, it's rice, barley, wheat, potatoes. Right? That's, those are the, the big ones that people consume every day. Now the EU has you know, allowed GMO potatoes. The European Commission on Tuesday approved the cultivation of genetically modified potatoes, but environmentalists and some European ministers slammed the so-called frankenfoods. The first approval of genetically modified foods in Europe for 12 years was criticized by Friends of the Earth Group and others as a threat to human health, though the potatoes will not be for human consumption. Where have we heard this before? The potatoes will not be for human consumption. That sounds like the argument we heard about genetically modified corn in the early 90s. It would only be for feed, and it would only be for ethanol. And then, uh, well, yeah, it's, gener it's generally recognized as safe. What are you worried about? Of course it's in your food supply. And, of course, it, it, it cross-pollinates, right? I mean, you know, potatoes don't pollinate each other, do they? Well, if you don't know the answer to that, find it out for yourself. Um, we're against the ch uh, decision taken by the European Commission. Uh, Italian Agriculture Minister Luca Zaia said in a statement, prior to the potato, uh, only Monsanto 810, a strain of genetically modified base oil, has been authorized for cultivation in Europe since 1998. So they've allowed one strain of GMO corn into Europe. The EU Commission said its latest decision was based on considerable volume of sound science. Who provided the science? The people making the potato? Uh, responsible innovation will be my guiding principle when dealing with innovative technologies. EU Health and Consumer Policy Commissioner John Dolly assured. Great. I feel much better. After extensive and thorough review of five pending GM files, it became clear to me that there were no new scientific issues that merited further assessment. The EU's Food Safety Agency says that the potato is safe for all uses. Wait a minute. I thought it wasn't for human consumption. It is designed to produce industrial starch in areas such as paper making. So, it's safe for, you see how they lay the groundwork for this crap, people. You, you get it. It's safe for all uses, but we're going to use it to make paper. Amflora is also modified, well, I guess that's the name of the potato, to produce pure amylosin starch in technical applications. Conventional potatoes produce a, a mixture of, of amylopectin and amylase starch. But the potato also contains a marker gene resistant to antibiotics. Wonderful. Fueling environmentalist fears over risk of contamination for non-GMO varieties. See, here's what the environmentalists, and sometimes environmentalists are complete whack jobs, and sometimes I'm right in the fight with them on their side. What they're saying is, even if you're not lying to us, even if there's no intention to ever introduce this potato to our food supply, it is a plant. It produces a blossom. In that blossom is pollen. That pollen can go from one crop to another crop, and no government ordinance, no government law, no government regulation, and no amount of good intentions can prevent this cross-pollination. And once you allow this crap into our biosphere, it will eventually cross-contaminate. And at the same time that they're raising that warning, which is so valid, 
you should also see the government and the corporation positioning this thing to later be introduced as a food supply thing, or another variant of it. It's completely safe for all uses, but we're not going to put it in the food supply. Never trust doublespeak from a politician. Uh, approval for the GMO potato flies in the face of 70% of consumers who are against GMO food. So you think it's different in Europe than it is here? 70% of Europeans, we don't want this crap, you're getting it anyway. Sound like our stimulus bill? Sound like the bailouts? Sound like Obamacare? I mean, you re EU Health Commissioner Dolly stressed that GM potatoes will be cultivated at distance from ordinary crops. I'll read that again. <laughs> it's a, a distance minimum of... EU Health Commissioner Dolly stressed that the GMO potatoes would uh, be cultivated at a distance from earlier crop, from other crops. Great, I feel so much better. BASF on its website said it was delighted by the decision after waiting more than 13 years for EU approval. I guess BASF are the people behind this potato. So who's BASF? Well, BASF is called the chemical company. It's not an evil slang. It's dirt. Freaking strap line. Like when you go to their site and they have their little logo, which is like a square with a little tiny square next to it, which I never understand companies with these moronic logos that mean nothing. And then the three, you know, four big letters, BASF, right underneath there, it says the chemical company. Uh, BASF is the world's leading chemical company. That means the largest, by the way, folks. The chemical company with about 97,000 employees. We serve customers and partners in almost all countries of the world. That's what they say about themselves. Don't you feel better now? And you know what you see when you go to their website? You see great things like pictures of windmills and solar panels on roofs of houses. Oh, see, you can trust them. See how the game shifts. Now we're getting GMO-produced chemical plantings being heralded under the banner of environmentalism. See, if we're using the starch potato that's GMO, to produce paper products, then we're using less real food potatoes. We can grow more with less, and that's better for everybody, and we'll feed the world. It's really the tactic that Monsanto's been using, but you're starting to see it more and more. They're trying to turn the environmentalists, who are their biggest opposition, into their allies. They're trying to present a case to them. What this means to us, folks, is that GMO is a problem, that's genetically modified organisms, for those of maybe that don't know, it's for a show on hearing something like this, are going to go throughout the world. No government anywhere is really going to stand up to them because the governments of the world are bought and paid for by the corporations of the world, and the biggest corporations in the world are in the chemical and biotechnology businesses. And they have the money to get their crap in anything. Least you think I'm being overly dramatic. Um, let's just stick with this for one more story and we'll move on to something else. I'm going to warn you, this next one starts out sounding like something somewhat hopeful, that some country would stand up. One of maybe not one of the ones we would think would stand up, but, you know, one of those unlikely allies in the battle, and it just comes crashing down all around itself. Um, China says, has not allowed imported GMO grain seeds for planting. Beijing, March 3rd, Reuters, China will accelerate the development of its own genetically modified crops, seeking to secure food security and international competitiveness, an official from the country's Ministry of Agriculture said. Huh? 
kind of hard to understand. Let's go into it. The official from the Ministry's Biosafety Administration Office also denied recent media reports that China has already approved imported GMO grain seeds for widespread planting. His remarks were published in the state by the state media on Wednesday. Isn't that great? The state media. We should just call them that here too. The Ministry of Agriculture has never approved any genetically modified grain seeds for planting in the country. There are no GMO grain crops being planted within the country, said the unnamed official. So, so what happened is China came out and said, okay, look, we've imported some of these things, but for use, not for planting. Uh, the GMO cotton, soy, maize, and rapeseed approved for import into China were restricted to use as raw materials for processing, but not for planting, says the official. So they're willing to take these products in and use them and let people consume them, but not to have them planted and disrupt their biosphere. Not good, but better than you would have hoped. But the official also described hopes that China will be a leading player in international competition to create and grow its own GMO crops that are resistant to pests and diseases. Accelerating technical research on GMO crops and their application and healthy development will provide a vigorous scientific support and for the sustainable development of China's agriculture, said the official. In an interview that also appeared on the ministry's website, developing GMO strains was an important for both international competitors ensuring China's food safety, said the official. China approved the safety, uh, approved the safety of the insect-resistant BT strain of rice and uh, phytase corn last November, opening the door for widespread planting of GMO crops within about three years. So what this says is, yeah, the Chinese are saying, we don't have any GMO seed planted in the country yet. We're importing it from elsewhere. Within three years, there may be some, but we're kind of going to go into this business for ourselves, and we're going to kind of restrict the ability of the Chinese farmer to use these genetically modified crops from outside the country. We'll make them inside the country in our little communist oligarchy, and they can plant those seeds. So what does this mean? The country with the largest population on the planet that's experienced significant uh, technological advancements over the past 50 years, that's coming on to be the largest global player in the world's economy in, coming, in the coming century, uh, the giant from the east, China, is going into the genetically modified food business as a government, because that's what they do. They're communists. If the Chinese people do something, the Chinese government is part of it, because they own it's collective. So China is going into the GMO business. 1.6 billion people worth of Chinamen into the GMO business. Do you see what I mean when I say this product or this problem will not go away? Every time you squish down a little piece of it, it pops back up. This is like whack-a-mole, but the moles have fangs. This is, this is one of the biggest threats that we face as a planet. And it's why gardening and permaculture are important on an individual basis. You can't stop this. You cannot stop the Chinese government from going into the GMO business. Maybe the Chinese people can, but there's a lot of things the Chinese people don't, don't want the Chinese government to do. They probably don't even pay attention to this one. They don't have time for it. They're not even aware of it, I think, by and large yet. This is a huge problem. And what we have to realize is it centers around certain crops. And by learning to grow other crops, we can largely avoid it. And for those crops that it affects, we can grow some of them and get our seeds from places where they are uh, covered by the Safe Seed Pledge and they don't have these problems. So 
I, I just wanted you to be aware of this. I, I want you to understand that this problem's real. And that despite the research that just keeps piling up, okay, we have a, a chemical that's, that's castrating frogs. That's okay. Uh, recently, major research data came out about Monsanto corn, which one fed to rats caused organ damage, and, and they still keep feeding it to people. And more and more of this stuff just keeps getting approved. And no matter how much independent science comes out and says this stuff is harmful, no government anywhere is really doing anything to prevent it from advancing. In fact, they're helping it advance. Our Department of Agriculture is full of people. Uh, our entire government is full of people who have worked for Monsanto, worked for our government, gone back to work for Monsanto. And the same is true with these other giant uh, agricultural uh, and chemical companies uh, like DuPont, like ConAgra. I mean, there's so many of them. We, I, I, like I said, sometimes I think we talk too much about Monsanto. So... Let's go on to something different, maybe not any more exciting, but at least backing up something I've been telling you for a while. Uh, there's a gentleman out there. Uh, his name is Mark Faber, and uh, he's really the guy that, that about a week before the 1987 stock market crash, like a week before, told all his clients, told everybody everywhere, get out of the market. It's going to get really nasty really quick. It's coming now. Not later, not down the road, not soon, now. And uh, some people listened to them, and that was a good thing, because the 87 crash was uh, was a shorter crash than what we've seen recently in some of the recent busts, but it was drastic, and it was dramatic, and it was painful for a lot of people. I was in high school back then, but I remember its effects. So he kind of knows what he's talking about. Well, he's come out now, and you know what his advice is? He says, buy farmland and gold. The bleak warning of social and financial meltdowns was delivered today in Tokyo at a gathering of 700 pension and sovereign wealth fund managers. Dr. Faber, who, who advised his audience to pull out of American stocks one week before the 87 crash, was among a handful who predicted uh, the more recent financial crisis. Okay, I think we had a little bit of yellow journalism here. Uh, it, was all, it was not only a handful of people that predicted the current financial crisis. There were hundreds of people screaming that it was coming, but the mainstream didn't listen. And America's people and the world's people put their fingers in their ears and said, la, 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 I can't let that one go. But let's, say what, let's see what Dr. Faber has to say, because he's not the one that created that yellow journalism. Dr. Faber said that investors who control billions of dollars of assets should start considering the effects of more disruptive effects than the mere market volatility. The next war will be a dirty war, he told fund managers. What are you going to do when your mobile phone gets shut down, or the Internet stops working, or the city water supplies get poisoned? His investment advice, which was the first keynote speech CLSA's annual investment forum in Tokyo, included a suggestion that fund managers buy houses in the countryside because it was more likely that violence, biological attack, and other acts of a dirty war would happen in cities. He also said that they should consider holding part of their wealth in the form of precious metals because they can be carried. So it wasn't so much that gold is the smartest financial play. This is what I keep saying when I advise people to buy some gold and silver. And I hear that it's a terrible investment if you compare it to stocks over 30 years. Well, first of all, we proved that's not true not long ago. But it's portable and anonymous. And I'm not saying to put all your money in gold. I'm saying keep some portion in gold and silver because you have portable, anonymous, exchangeable wealth that can go with you anywhere in the world if you need to go. As for one of... Uh, 
Doctor, it's for, it's for one of Dr. Faber's darkest scenarios involving a growing military tension between China and the United States over access to limited oil resources. Today, the U.S. has considerable uh, advantages over China because it has free access to oceans on both coasts, has potential energy supplies to the north and south of Canada and Mexico. It also commands an 11-strong fleet of aircraft carriers that could, if necessary, secure supply routes in a conflict situation. China and emerging, a and emerging Asia, meanwhile, face the uncertainty of supplies that must travel from the Middle East through a winding sea lanes and the Malacca bottleneck. American military presence in Central Asia, Dr. Farber said, may add level of concern uh, in, in Beijing. When I tell people to prepare themselves for a dirty war, they ask me, America against whom? I tell them that for sure they will find someone. Think about that. In other words, we'll find somebody to fight. You have the history of doing that. At the heart of Dr. Faber's argument is the fundamental gloomy view of the U.S. economy and its capacity to serve as a growing mountain of death. His belief, fund managers were told, is that the U.S. is going to go bankrupt. Under President Obama, he said the country, annu country's annual fiscal deficit will, drop, will not drop below $1 trillion and can rise beyond that, and rise beyond that figure. Arch bears... Uh, have predicted that the U.S. debt repayments could hit 35% of tax revenues within 10 years. Uh, Dr. Faber believes the ratio could easily hit 50% in the same time frame. So there's people out there that are looking at it. This is what that last thing means. That within the next 10 years, if you take all the taxes the United States government collects, all of it, 35% of it will be necessary just to pay the interest on the debt. Okay, 35% within 10 years of all tax receipts necessary to pay the interest on the debt. Faber says it could be 50%. So the government takes in whatever trillion dollars in taxes, and it'll need, you know, if it's $2 trillion, $1 trillion to pay interest. Not to pay the debt down, not to fund the government's operations, to pay the interest on the debt. What does it sound like? I, it was a totally different story I had up on my screen last night. I showed it to my wife. I said, what does this make you think of? She said, Without a blink, credit cards. Credit cards. It's exactly what happens with credit cards. Eventually you get to a point where you're making a huge payment and 90% or more of the payment is just the interest on the debt and you're not even affecting the debt and the debt's still growing. And if you still spend under those conditions, it's self-destructive and sooner or later it kills the credit card holder. That's what the U.S. is doing. We're running our economy exactly like someone addicted to credit cards. Let's go on to a different story. Anybody here ever hear of Bill O'Reilly? Good, solid, conservative, middle of the road, somewhat liberal on some statements. Solid, fair and balanced Bill O'Reilly. But you know what? Even when we disagree with him. One thing we should have always known about Bill O'Reilly, he was strong on the Second Amendment. Right? I mean, everything I've ever heard out of Bill O'Reilly was strong on the Second Amendment. Well... Let me read this to you off the NRA's website. Uh, as, as we have often reported in the wake of illegal gun confiscations in New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina, NRA, the NRA focuses attention on legislation to amend existing emergency power statutes to guarantee that local authorities never again attempt the confiscation of lawfully owned firearms during states of emergency. However, just when people needed their guns for self-protection the most, New Orleans police superintendent ordered the confiscation of firearms allegedly under the state's emergency powers law. Fortunately, an NRA lawsuit brought an end to the seizures, and subsequent NRA-backed legislation ensured that the gun uh, confiscation travesty would not repeat itself. 
Unfortunately, many states have emergency powers law that give the government permission to suspend or limit gun sales or prohibit or restrict citizens from transporting or carrying firearms. In some states, authorities are authorized to seize guns outright from citizens who have committed no crime who would then be defenseless against disorder. Within the past few weeks, a state of emergency was declared in King, uh, King, North Carolina, following a relatively heavy snowstorm. As a result, emergency declaration, local residents were banned from carrying firearms in their vehicles because it snowed. All right. Entering into the fray this week was Bill O'Reilly, host of the O'Reilly Factor on Fox News. Oh, they're our friends. Uh, in a February 18th interview that discussed, in part, the confiscation of legally owned guns during a declared state of emergency, as was the case in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, O'Reilly affirmed his support such confiscations. When it was explained to O'Reilly that whether or not there's a state of emergency, it's still unconstitutional to confiscate lawfully owned guns from honest citizens wanting to defend themselves, the Fox talking head retorts, that's a pretty extreme position. So, there you go. What I've been trying to say over and over again is that the mainstream media, even the people that we would think of as friends to us on at least some issues, are not our friends. They do not support the Constitution even though they claim to. It's an extreme position, according to Bill O'Reilly, one of the most influential men in our country, to believe that the Constitution applies to you as an individual even during an emergency. See, friends, I look at it this way. I have that gun mostly because someday that emergency could come. It's the very reason I own the dad gun thing in the first place. Now, there's other reasons I own a gun. I like to shoot. It's a hobby. I like to hunt. I want to defend my home if somebody comes into it. And it's my right, and I exercise my rights. But when it comes right down to it, the reason that I'm so passionate about it, the reason I think that every American should go out there and get proper training and become safe and efficient in the use of firearms and have a gun, is so that if we ever have a total collapse for any reason, whether it's local, national, or global, that you're not left defenseless. Mr. O'Reilly's position is at that very critical juncture in time. That's the time when we could suspend the Constitution and not to have that view as an extreme position. Well, I guess I'm an extremist. And I guess most of the people that helped draft and ratify the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence were extremists too. Because they believed that when one government came across over its people and obstructed their ability to have freedom, liberty, happiness, and for their voices to be heard, that that people had a right and a duty to overthrow that government. So the people that founded our nation were extremist revolutionaries that in the eyes of the British crown were committing treason. So if I'm an extremist, then I'm an extremist, and I wear that uh, that label proudly. Uh, I, I wish I could be more positive today. Let me tell you another thing that happened. You probably didn't hear it in the, the mainstream media, but you'll start hearing it called this now. The Associated Press uh, has a book called The Style Book. And the style book's been around for a very long time, uh, since 1953, and it's updated annually. It's the mainstay in newsrooms and journalism classrooms. So when people want to know, well, what do we refer to a period of time as, or what does this word mean, or, you know, how did this come into society, they go to the Associated Press style book, especially for journalists. Well, what they've now decided this year is that the period of time that we're going through right now which began in December of 2007, and for a year, remember, for a year, the government said, no no recession, no recession. In fact, it was more than a year, because they didn't even admit it was a recession, right, 
in, in, until, well, I guess, I guess it was about a year before they officially admitted that we were in recession. Now, in fact, maybe it was, okay, maybe it was nine months, I guess it was, really. Okay, I've got the timeline up there. I don't want to be incorrect. I'll correct myself when I can. But in December of 2007, the government was going, there's no recession. Nothing to see here, folks. Move on. Now it officially started December 2007. It's still going on now. And what is it now officially called? The Great Recession. That's right. You have now officially been part of the Great Recession. And it will now be a mainstay and speak in the media going forward. And 20 years from now, when people look back to this, they will write about it and they will call it the Great Recession. My big problem with this is this recession, at least so far, has been nothing compared to the Great Depression. And it actually bothers me a great deal that future generations will look at my generation and think that we had it anywhere near as bad as the people of the Great Depression. Because we haven't, folks. I needed to drive by our big mall the other day. I wasn't going there. I just needed to drive by it. It was a disaster just to get past it. This was on a weekday in the middle of the day. And the mall was overflowing. They didn't even have shopping malls during the Great Depression. If they did, they certainly would be overflowing with traffic. We went out to eat after we were trying to find my son an apartment. He's getting ready to move out on his own before we moved to Arkansas. We just went to eat you know, at a simple restaurant. And we went to two, we, we called two restaurants that had 40 minute waits. During the week, we found a third one that didn't have a wait. We went there because we just didn't want to wait. We just wanted to eat and then get home. This is the Great Recession. Now, I know Texas is doing better than a lot of the rest of the country, but this is the Great Recession. I know that places like Detroit are being particularly hard hit, but I've been all across the country in the past year, and this doesn't look like anything that my grandfather talked about with the Great Depression. But. The media has done what it always does. It's put the spin on it. And here's what's going to happen. Going into the election cycle, toward the end of the year, when we have the national elections, folks, that term is going to get bantered around by both sides. The Democrats are still going to blame the Republicans, even though they've been in power for about three years now. Obama's only been there a year and a half. But the Congress and the Senate got taken over by the Democrats in the election cycle prior to the presidential election they're still going to blame the Republicans. And the Republicans, somewhat rightly so, are going to say, hey, 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 you guys have been in control. This great recession is your fault. You're going to hear it in campaigns. There's another one of my predictions. Write it down. The great recession will be a term used in the coming campaigns because now it's okay and it's official. So it's official for use. Um, you know, it, it really bugs me. It really does. I got another one here for you, totally on a different subject that I want you to think about. This comes off of LewRockwell.com, and it's called Don't Tread on Pipe Tobacco or Anything Else. Uh, and it is uh, it's an interesting article. I'll just give you a few thoughts on it and a few pieces of it. Um, right now, just about every member of the pipe smoking community should already know about H.R., 4439, the, type, the Tobacco Tax Parity Act of 2010. It proposes to raise the tax on pipe tobacco. Get this, 775% from $2.83 to $24.78 a pound. Many of you have signed our petition to stop, stop pipe tobacco tax. While I'm quite pleased with the support of the pipe, pipe, pipe community has shown in rallying against this bill, many of the comments and attitudes and opinions expressed have been disappointing and disheartening to say the least. Basically what he goes on to say is that there's people signing this petition and they're 
their statements instead of just, hey, it's wrong to increase a tax by 700%. Don't do this. You guys have enough money. Is why don't you tax things that are more dangerous than pipe tobacco, like fast food and soda? And this is the thing that I started out with, and it's why the thing I'm ending with. When we look at something like the couple in Orange, California, and say, that doesn't really affect me, or if it happens to our neighbor and we say, it doesn't really affect me, we let government encroach, who's going to be there for us when the encroachment's on us? Isn't this what we were supposed to learn from the Nazi Holocaust? You know? They came for the Jew, and I was not a Jew, so I didn't speak up. Then they came for the gypsy, and I was not a gypsy. Right? We all know the old thing. The old, I don't remember who wrote it, but we all know it. And when they came for me, there was no one to speak up for me. Governments commit atrocities that aren't always about hauling people away. It's about the infringement of liberty. Our entire nation was set up for liberty. Now we see an infringement on the rights of people to smoke a plant. that's already taxed. How did this happen? Well... A couple years ago, since nobody wants to stick up for smokers and it's popular to beat them up, they raised the price on tobacco products around, you know, everything. Cigarettes and, and, and cigars, and they also raised the tax on roll-your-own tobacco. So a lot of people had stopped smoking regular cigarettes and started doing roll-their-own, but they were buying tobacco made to roll-their-own. The tobacco company said, well, this sucks. So they started making pipe tobacco that was actually suitable for rowing your own, got into a loophole. This is the government closing the loophole. Why would they do such a thing? I mean, there can't be that many people buying this stuff. Well, the increase uh, is on 5.3 million pounds of pipe tobacco, and that equals $131 million in taxes. Uh, that's an increase of $116 million. So basically the government has some level of you know, understanding that it can't just spend deficit spending. So its way to increase revenue is by taxing something people generally don't notice. So it's $116 million for new government programs every year. Now, the government guy never thinks, hey, when we tax this, people will use it less, and the tax revenue go down. See, this is what happened. These jackasses jacked up all the other forms of tobacco, and they were already spending the money before it came in. Well, people switched habits. Shocking. They said that's what they wanted, but they really didn't because they wanted the money. So now they're closing the loophole. They'll close every loophole. Every loophole that's created for you, every freedom that you create by making a choice, they'll try to close it. I keep telling you this. We keep getting more and more electric and hybrid cars, high fuel efficiency. One day it's going to be affordable to go out and buy a good quality car that gets 80 miles to the gallon or more. It's not even that far away, I don't think, anymore. One day it's going to be affordable to go out and get a car that you plug in, drive every day, and never put a drop of gasoline in. That's coming too. One day it will be affordable to put solar panels on your roof that charge the car so you never spend a dime, not even on electricity. And the government won't get its tax for electricity, and it won't get its tax for motor fuels. So what will it do? It will tax you for every mile that you drive with an international uh, system that measures how far you drive. When they drive your car, you're going to have to have a little thing in it that's like a toll tag, and it's going to send you a bill or charge your account every month. They'll do it. They're already working on experimental programs to do this in places like Oregon. That's why you have to stay one step ahead. That's why you can't ever think that we'll ever get to a point where this behemoth, monstrous government won't stop chasing liberty and freedom and squashing it. Now, do they do this because they're evil people? I think some of them are, but I think most of them just don't understand things. See, people go into government with a belief that I'm going to make a difference, I'm going to solve problems. 
And it's very hard for a person who believes they're going to solve problems to understand the best thing they can do to fix a problem is nothing or remove the things that they already have been led to believe are helping. Government can't fix these problems. Only we can. And we can fix them for ourselves. And that's why I come to you every day with a message that says, be strong, be self-sufficient, and control your own life and control your own destiny. Grow your own food. Create your own energy. I know I just said that eventually they'll figure out a way to tax that energy. Do it anyway. Do it now before they tax it. Do it now while they incentivize it with, with reduced taxation. Do it now. And don't write me an email, about, but if I do that, then one day they're going to do that anyway. All right? They're going to do whatever you're going to say anyway. You can fight, and you can adapt and improvise and overcome and move on to something new by that point, or you can sit around crying and whining about excuses. You can say, well, I don't want to conceal a weapons permit because I know I have a gun. They already know you have a gun. Quit being an idiot. I don't want a driver's license because then they'll know where I am. They already know where you are. They already know where you are. And they really don't care about you as an individual very much. As long as you pay them their taxes. And as much as I hate it, that's one thing you got to do for right now. But there's ways out of that one too. But my solution to all of these problems today is do the things that I talk about every day. Live your life under your own terms. Believe in individual sovereignty. And I don't mean it in a way where a cop pulls you over because you were doing 90 in a school zone. And you say, I have individual sovereignty like an idiot and get maced in club. The way that you probably have coming to you if you did that. Because most people, even if they don't think they, should, they need a driver's license or that they should have these restrictions, are going to do 90 in a school zone. Because of common sense. If you're that idiot and you're that arrogant, then you deserve what you get. I really believe that. Um, I'll still want the cop disciplined. But secretly... I'll understand why it happened to you, and I won't have a lot of sympathy for you as an individual. Okay? And that really is the way I feel, because you're an idiot if you do something like that. So that's not what I mean by individual sovereignty. What I mean by individual sovereignty is an understanding that you affect your life more than anything else. All these things that I told you about you're angry today about, there's very little you can do about them directly. I didn't tell you to write your congressman. I didn't tell you to write your senator. I didn't tell you to go out and vote. I didn't tell you to phone anybody up. I didn't tell you to tell your friends. I didn't tell you to do anything directly against any of these things. What did I say you should be doing? Living your life outside of this crap. Figuring out the best way that you can compromise between what you must have and what you want to have a good quality life. And I don't care, if, again, if you want a homestead in the middle of the city, you're going to have certain limitations, but if that's what you want, fine. If you want to do it out in the country, fine. But one way or another, I believe that you should be taking control of at least what you put in your mouth and what you eat. And you do that in a couple ways. One, grow your own food. Two, grow your own food that comes back year after year. Three, buy from your local economy, including things like supporting uh, community-supported agriculture and farmers' markets and local vendors. Four, bartering within your local economy. You do those things, and you start to take control back. Support organic labels, I guess. That's, it's not as effective as I think a lot of people believe it is, but it doesn't hurt. The next thing you do is you, you get out of debt, stay out of debt, don't go into debt, get rid of your credit cards, don't write me why your credit cards give you miles or any other nonsense. No room in your life for a credit card. That pulls you deeper into the system. Every time you make a decision from this point forward in your life, I want you to pause 
If, you, if you've lived up to that point in your life without making that decision, it'll wait 10 more seconds. And I want you to ask yourself one question. Does this choice push me deeper into the system or take me further away and liberate me from the system? And if it takes you deeper into the system, ask yourself a second question. Is it worth it? I won't tell you what to decide. But I think if you ask those questions, you'll find the right answer for you more often. And most people act first and think second. I'm simply asking you to think first and act second. Because these threats are real, because these threats are out there, because these dangers exist, and because they're not going away, and as we've seen conclusively today, no matter how much proof there is that something is dangerous, if it's profitable, government allows it to continue. For all their bantering about CO2 and global warming, when you take actual chemicals that are clearly toxic and poisonous and pollute an environment, that's okay. And I expect nothing better from our government right now with the people that are running it. And until enough people wake up to totally turn the government upside down on its head and completely replace all those ass clowns up there, until that day, we're going to have to deal with that. My solution is I'm not going to focus on that so much as how I live my life. I'll look at it every once in a while. I won't deny it. I won't be an ostrich. That way I'm prepared to adapt, improvise, and overcome. But day to day, I'll just focus on the way I live. I suggest you do the same thing. Focusing on your on the way you live is a way that you change yourself first. And if we want to change the corporate powers that be, if we want to change the government, if we want to change the nation, if we want to change the world, we start. It's that old song by a guy I thought was nuts, but it was a great song. We start with the man in the mirror. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.